We are jumping into our fourth and final week of our series called Urgent. And what we've looked at uh, over the last month or so is this urgent calling that we have as the church of Christ, as disciples of Jesus, to live our life on mission, to be on the mission of God. And this call that we've been given is urgent. There, there's an urgency to it. And, we've, and the series has been kind of unpacking the realities that make it urgent. Uh, in week one, we talked about the reality that Jesus is coming again. And because he's coming again, we ought to live with a sense of gospel urgency. Amen. Do you believe he's coming? He is going to, and when he comes, I want to be found faithful having been on his mission. So there's a sense of urgency because Christ is coming again. Um, in the second week, we, we kind of unpacked the reality that hell is real. This is not a fictitious place. This is not something that Dante just happened to dream up. This is a reality where, according to the words of Christ, most people will spend eternity. So if Jesus is coming back and hell is real, then we have an urgency to share the gospel. Amen? We need to be on mission sharing the gospel. And then last week we looked at uh, one more reality, and that reality was when Christ looked at his disciples and said, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready to share the gospel. And I, I want to tell you right now, right here around us in Gilmer and in Upshur County, the harvest is ready, New Beginnings. It is ready. Jesus is coming Hell is real and the harvest is ready. And this morning we're going to look at our, our last reality to give us this gospel urgency. And that is that Jesus has commanded us to go. We've been given the commission and the command to go and share the gospel. But let's be honest, right? We struggle with this command. We've talked about this a few times through this series. There uh, is just a struggle for us. It's, it's a struggle for us to have the courage and the confidence to share our faith. I know that there are believers who have, who have been believers for five or 10, 30 years or even more, and they've never shared their faith with someone. And I think the reason that we struggle with this is because of misconceptions that we've, uh, we've accepted as realities. I think there are um, misconceptions that we've taken as truths, and those things hinder us from walking in obedience to the call of Jesus to go. The first one is, I think we have this misconception that evangelism, which by the way, that's a there's nothing wrong with that word. Our culture has kind of made the word evangelism kind of taboo, something that's out of taste and out of style and you shouldn't really do. Everybody can kind of just do their own thing and follow their own path and get their own truth. And you know what happens when everybody gets their own truth? There's no truth. But the reality is Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And then he put us on mission to evangelize, to go and share. And I think a misconception we have is that this idea of evangelism is somehow just a, a spiritual gift for, uh, for the spiritually elite, right? Uh, we, we, we just kind of convince ourselves that's for the really super spiritual people. And if we don't have that gift of evangelism, we don't have to evangelize. But I, I just want us this morning to look very clearly at that and set that aside. And here's why. Because every believer... If you've been made new in Jesus Christ, then in being made new, you have been put on mission. 
The responsibility is not for the spiritually elite. This isn't for church staff. This isn't for preachers. This is the mission for every single person who calls Jesus Lord. Why? Because we don't have to know necessarily every single strategy for evangelizing or every single way to engage the lost. But you know what we do know? We know what Christ has done for us. We know that. And if you don't know what Christ has done for you, then you probably don't know Christ. But if you know what Christ has done for you, if you've been transformed, then you have been given a gospel story. And in that gospel story is the command to go and share that story. So we have this misconception that it's just for, it's some sort of unique gift, right? But it really, it's a gift for all of us because we have the gift of new life. So it's for all of us. There's another misconception that we have, and it's particularly prevalent for us in the Bible Belt and in East Texas, and that is, well, lostness just isn't really an issue around us. Everybody here knows. Everybody knows the name of Jesus. Most people go to church somewhere. This really is, this is, I see this as an issue around the world, not really an issue here. But I want to I put a couple of numbers in front of you that just kind of floored me this week. One was this. In the state of Texas, right here, Lone Star State, there are 19 million lost people. 19 million people that do not walk with Christ. You go, okay, that's a large number. My brain can't handle it. So let's, let's break it down to another number. Right here in our area, in the Gilmer Longview area of Upshur County, uh, Gregg County, and the, just the surrounding communities, there are 180,000 people who are lost. I want you to think about that for a moment. This is not an obscure number from around the world. This is our backyard. This is right here. These are our neighbors. They're our co-workers. They're our friends. They are our family. And what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus has commanded us to go to the 19 million, to go to the 180,000, and to win the lost. But listen, we cannot win them if we do not go to them. Right? We cannot win where we will not go. We just, so we have to go. I think about it like this. Think about uh, the, the district champion, Gilmer Buckeyes. Come on, let's, let's make right. Come on. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, right? So imagine now we've, we've won the district and we're going to playoffs where we will dominate. And what we've now imagine they've put in all the work. They've played all the games. They've gone through all the practices. They've done all of this stuff. Now it's playoff game day and it's time to get on the bus and go play the game but instead the coaches and players come together and they go hey you know what we're going to do instead let's stay home and talk about playing the game let's stay home and have some really good meaningful conversation about how we have great players and better coaching and better scheming and we're more motivated and let's sit around and talk about playing the game and then when the game is over over there we'll stay in the house and we'll talk about how well we played the game now that makes no sense does it but the reality is too many believers take that approach to sharing the gospel 
We're glad to come to the house. We're glad to talk about Jesus, to talk about the joy and the happiness and the life that we found in him. We're glad to sit in the safety of this bubble and this huddle and talk about the greatness of God. But can I tell you something? It doesn't matter until it is taken outside the walls and we go play the game. It doesn't matter. The Buckeyes can be the greatest team in the state of Texas, and I think they are, and that does not matter if they don't go. Are you with me? So we have to go. Jesus has commanded us to go. The point of the gospel is not just that we would see Jesus as king and accept him as king. The point of the gospel is that in doing that, we would now live our lives declaring him as king. That's the point of the gospel. We have this story we have this good news, and it's our story. It's our good news. It's, it's changed us. And the full purpose of that story and that good news isn't realized until it is declared. It is why Jesus told us that we need to go. So grab your Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. There's a very familiar passage what we call the Great Commission. And so you kind of know where we are in the, in the narrative of the story. Um, Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected uh, from the dead. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, had come to his grave to care for his body. And when they got there, what did the angel say? He is not here. He is risen. And then Jesus revealed himself to them. And he said, I want you to go and tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee, and I'm going to meet them there. So that's kind of where we are. Now pick it up in verse 16 of Matthew 28. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. This isn't the sermon, but I just got to tell you, I'm thankful that the but some doubted is in there. <laughs> Here's why. Because it just reminds me, one, that these dudes weren't perfect. They just weren't. These were his people. And some had seen the resurrected Christ, and it says some doubted. And here's the other thing it does. It reminds me that God's word is authentic. These are eyewitness accounts, and they're not exaggerated. You want to know why? Because if they wanted to exaggerate, you want to know what they would have said? And they worshiped him, period. And that would have, if, if, if the Gospel of Matthew would have been written by this Matthew, I would have left out the but some doubted because I would have wanted y'all to think I was something I wasn't, all right? But in putting that in, we're reminded these are not exaggerated. Matter of fact, instead of making themselves constantly look better, the disciples often come out looking weak and faithless. And so I hope this morning you see a little word like that and you go, okay, I can identify with somebody who doubts. And it just makes me think God's word is true. These are the eyewitness accounts. So it says they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus has given us this command to go. 
And this, this command, this commission to go, it, it puts us on mission. And this is not isolated, like we said, to preachers or super spiritual people. It is given to every single believer, which means no disciple of Jesus is exempt from the mission of Jesus. None of us are exempt from this. And I think for us to really uh, take hold of this, to take hold of this mission and to fully accept it and obey it, there are two things that I think we have to grab this morning. There's two things I want us to take away. I'm going to give you both of these right on the front end, and then we'll spend a few minutes in them. The first is this. We've got to grasp the power and authority behind the mission. And then we have to grasp the purpose and scope of the mission. So I want us to take hold of the power and authority behind the mission and the purpose and scope of the mission. So what is that power and authority? Jesus says something very interesting here at the beginning of the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. Now, this is incredibly important for us because understanding the authority of Jesus sets the foundation for the mission of Jesus to be the priority of our lives. Understanding the authority of Jesus sets the foundation for the mission of Jesus to be the priority of our lives. You see, apart from the authority of Jesus, the Great Commission is just a good suggestion, right? And I think for most, so many believers, for so many believers, we view the Great Commission as a good suggestion because we don't walk in the authority of Christ. But when you rightly see the authority of Jesus, you realize this is not a good suggestion. This is a great commission, and it changes my priority. Think about it like this. How many of you in here with me uh, have older sisters? Who has an older sister? Okay, you know what that means? It means you grew up with two mamas. That's what it means. And not in a great way, right? It wasn't awesome to grow up with two moms. It was terrible. Uh, my older sister, who I love so very much, uh, she found it a great joy to be my second mama, particularly when my mama wasn't around to put guardrails on her being my mama. You know what I'm saying? And so when it was just her she wanted to be the boss. She wanted to tell everybody what to do. And so she would do things like, now listen, some of the things she would tell me to do weren't wrong, right? She would walk by my room, see it was a nightmare and go, Matt, you need to clean that. That's a mess. Well, what's my response? You're not the what? You're not the boss of me. I run that room. That's all me. That's my kingdom. You don't tell me what to do, right? Until about eight seconds later, when my real mama would walk by my room and she'd go, Matthew, you need to clean that room. It's a mess. Exact same words, <laughs> exact same words. But what happened? Oh, now all of a sudden cleaning my room's a priority. Why? Because someone in authority to give the charge has given the charge. I've received instruction from someone with an authority to give it. And for so many of us, this is why the imperative for us to understand the authority of Jesus matters because his authority sets our priority. His, the fact that Jesus has authority makes the words from his mouth the priority of our life. What do I mean? That word, authority, is the Greek word exousia. Exousia, which means the power to do as one pleases. That's what that word means. 
This measure of authority was often reserved for kings and rulers and governors and presidents. That's who this, the, this, that's who this was reserved for, the power to do as one pleases. It speaks of somebody who has the ultimate rights, the ultimate power, the, the ultimate jurisdiction, so that when Jesus says, all authority, all exousia has been given to me, he is saying, there is nothing now left outside of my jurisdiction, meaning believer, listen, there is no slice or pocket of your life that does not fall under the exousia authority of Christ. There is no portion of your living that does not come under the authority of Jesus. And you go, why say that? Because we live in boxes. We live with certain things that we're glad to submit to the authority of Christ. And then we live with certain things that we hold on to and just govern in our own authority. Are you with me? And Jesus has said, my authority, exousia authority, is a full jurisdiction authority. What I love about that is this isn't something that we should bristle at. This is something we should celebrate. How many of you with me, I want to tell you, before I ask this question, the 8 o'clock service lied and left me hanging so bad that I had to shame them into telling the truth. How many of you with me would just acknowledge that there's a part of you that bristles at authority over you? Anybody? Just a little, just a little. We, we navigate it, we, we handle it, we do it, right? There's this, we bristle at authority. And Jesus has said, I have this authority, this jurisdiction, this ultimate rule over your life so that there isn't any element or pocket of your life outside of that. And I'm telling you, that isn't something to bristle at. That's something to celebrate and lean into and rejoice in and find gladness in. Why? Because if Jesus has full authority over our life, then it means he has full authority over life and death. It means he has full authority over everything that's going well and everything that feels like a nightmare. It's still under the authority of Christ. It means he has full authority over sin and Satan. He has full authority over nature and nations. He has full authority over elections. Bless the Lord. He has full authority over disease and demons. He has full authority over you and over me and over every single Life, the authority of Jesus matters. So the question is, where does that authority come from? How does Jesus then stand and say, all authority has been given to me. In heaven, I have full authority. On earth, I have full authority. And we know from Philippians, under the earth, he has full authority. Where does that come from? I would submit to you that the authority of Christ this morning comes from two little phrases, two little three-word phrases, six words total, I think, establish for us the authority of Christ. And here they are. It is finished, and He is risen. It is finished, and He is risen. 
these two little phrases set for us the authority of Christ. What do I mean? In John chapter 19, I think around verse 30, Jesus is on the cross and he's coming to the end of his life and he says one of the greatest things that he would ever say in his time on earth. He says, it is finished. Jesus wasn't simply acknowledging that his life was coming to an end. He was speaking to a, to a greater uh, spiritual uh, victory and a greater eternal victory that was being won for us. The power of these words is seen in the reality of what Christ was accomplishing for us when he said, it is finished. Because in saying it is finished, Jesus is declaring my obedience to the will of the Father is finished. My dealing with sin and death is finished. My paying for the sins of the world is finished. My drinking the cup of God's wrath and dealing with God's righteous judgment on mankind is finished. My charge to strike the death blow that was promised in Genesis to the head of Satan is finished. My, my mission of establishing the new covenant with my blood, with my people, is finished. That's what was done for us in the words, it is finished. And there is an authority then that belongs to Christ because of the completed work of the cross. He did the work. He accomplished the mission. Therefore, he has the authority. All authority in heaven and on earth because... It is finished. And because he is risen. Right before we started reading in verse 16, if you get to Matthew 28, you read the resurrection account there, and you know that Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James went to, went to the grave of Christ to care for his body. And when they got there, he wasn't there. The angel said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. While it is finished is the one of the most important things Jesus ever said, he is risen is the most important thing he ever did. <laughs> it is the most important thing he ever did. Why? Because if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, then as Christians, we are wasting our time. And our faith is a lie if Jesus didn't rise from the grave. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then Christians, us, we're to be pitied above everybody else on the whole planet because we're hopeless if Christ has not been raised. But he follows it up with this word, but indeed Christ has been raised. He has been raised. And in rising from the grave, the situation is drastically different. In rising from the grave, Jesus has defeated death and the grave. He has overcome Satan's greatest threat against us. In rising from the grave, he has dealt with the eternal consequence of our sin and fully paid the ransom we owed so that because Jesus finished the work of salvation, it is finished. And because he has defeated death through the resurrection, he is risen. He now holds the position of all authority. And from that position of power and authority, he now gives us our mission. He gives us the purpose and the scope of our mission. And what is that? Look at Matthew 28, 19. Jesus says, with, this, with that authority in mind, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I said there's the purpose and the scope. 
The purpose of the mission is to make disciples. The scope of the mission is of all nations. That is not small. That, that, that's a big mission that we have been put on. And listen to me. The mission of Christ is not that we would come to Christ and be baptized and then sit in the church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that we would call Jesus Lord, follow him in believer's baptism, and get real cozy in these seats. The gospel is that we would come to Christ, to the saving faith in Jesus, recognizing we are separated from God and sinners and in need of a Savior, that we would come to Him, surrender our lives to Him, receive the free gift of salvation from Him, be baptized in obedience to Him, and then go live on mission for Him. What are you saying? I'm saying the gospel isn't fulfilled in you until it's being replicated through you. Are you with me? Are you? Okay, I'm just making sure because it's super quiet in here. The gospel isn't fulfilled in us until it is being replicated through us. So that until there are others who are not only finding their way to Christ, but learning how to walk with Christ because of what Christ has done in me. Until that is happening, I'm not actually walking as a disciple of Jesus. You know, that's kind of hard. Yeah, it's heavy. But again, remember, it isn't about our comfort in these seats. It is about what we're going to do outside. It's about, it's about being on mission. Right? Making disciples does not make us Christian. But being a Christian means you are going to make disciples. It's, it's, you see what I'm saying? Making disciples doesn't make you born again, but being born again means you are going to make disciples. So, what is a disciple and what does it mean then to make disciples? How do we do this. That Greek word, we've talked about this word before, make disciples. It, it comes from a root word called methetes. We've talked about this word, but it means learner or pupil, right? This was a title given to someone who was an apprentice in a trade, whether it was carpentry or masonry or whatever it might be. It was, it was, denoted, it was to denote someone who was in a master-student relationship with a teacher, that's what the word disciple means. And for us, for, for believers, that word, it, it, it's the same idea. The disciple is a believer who is learning to follow and serve Jesus as their master. So if you're a disciple of Christ, you're the learner. He's the master. In other words, a disciple of Jesus is someone in a master-student relationship with Jesus in order to learn how to be like Jesus. That's what a disciple is. So then, disciple-making, making disciples means being a part of helping people learn how to be like Jesus. That's what it means. It is moving people from where they are 
to being lifelong followers of Christ. This is the process of replicating in others, again, the work that Christ has done in us. And listen, church, this is more than making converts. This is more than moving people across the line of faith. It includes that, but it's more than that. Disciple-making is a mission that is nothing less than making enduring pursuers of Jesus. Listen to what Pastor David Platt said about making disciples. He said this, Disciple-making is not about sharing the gospel with people and then leaving them to figure out the Christian life on their own. Instead, we show them how to follow Christ on a day-by-day basis. That is why we can never limit disciple-making to a weekly meeting. Disciple-making is what happens when we walk through life together. If you lead someone to Christ or you have a new believer in Jesus, how are they supposed to know how to pray? How are they supposed to learn and know how to study the Bible? How are they supposed to know how to live generously or to share the gospel or to value biblical community? How are they supposed to know any of the things that it means to follow Jesus? They're going to learn it by being in relationship with someone who is doing it. How many of you, if you were to look back across the the narrative of your relationship with the Lord, whether you got saved when you were six or 60, how many of you would look across your story of walking with Christ and say that God has put people along the way to disciple you? Almost every hand in the room. God gives us people to disciple us. And you know what they've done for me? Whether it was my mom as a child, a pastor along the way. God uses Carrie, my wife, to disciple sometimes my heart, brothers in Christ. He he has put them in my path so that I am perpetually being moved to be a lifelong pursuer of Christ. It means doing life with me. And you might think that sounds awesome, but sometimes it's just flat not. (laughs) It's just not. Doing life with one another can be hard. But how am I going to learn how to do all the things Jesus had? Because he said, I want you to go and teach them everything I taught you. How am I going to learn how to do that? I got to be walking with somebody who's doing it. I got to be in relationship with somebody who's a step or two ahead of me in their walk. By the way, we all need people who love Jesus more than they love us so they can disciple us in a way that will actually do something in our life. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm awesome. I do need people to go, you need to come on and get in line with Jesus. I need that, and so do you. This is why, church, we have such a high value on life groups at New Beginnings. It is why biblical community matters to us. It is why we talk about it, promote it. And while I will constantly encourage every single one of you to get in a life group, here is why. Because you will never reach the full measure of a mature disciple in isolation. It just won't happen. We've got plenty of Rambo Christians who don't think they need the church and don't think they need gospel community to grow. That's fine. Do you know what you can immediately know about that disciple? There is a lid to their growth. There's a lid. 
There's a lid that they're going to hit and they'll never get past it. There are sins they will never overcome. There are habits they'll never break. There's places of victory and freedom they will never see because they are walking outside of gospel community. And some of you are doing that now. And I am telling you, it is time to graft into a life group and start sharing your life with people. Do you want to know why? Because that breaks through the lid of isolation and allows you to start to grow as a believer and as a disciple. We all need somebody who will yank our ponytail, bless the Lord. (laughs) I also need people who see me walking faithfully as a husband and a father and to encourage that. I also need people to ask me, hey, what is Jesus teaching you right now? I I need that. You need that. This is why community, this this isn't a sermon about life group. Get in a life group. (laughs) If you're not in one, I want you to connect with Ben Lofton. And I want you to let him help you find a group that will fit for you and your family where you can begin to do this. I quote this verse all the time. I'll quote it one more time, then I promise I'll move on. Proverbs 18, 1 says, The man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. I don't need that. I don't need it. I need biblical gospel community so I can grow as a disciple. So how do we do this? There's the There's the power and the authority of our mission in Jesus. There's the purpose and the scope to go make disciples of all nations. So how then do we do this? We've got the imperative to make disciples. Jesus now modifies that imperative with three participles, three ways we're going to get the mission done. And it's these three words. We're going to go, we're going to baptize, we're going to teach. That's the three ways we get the mission done. He gives us these three words to focus and inform our mission. So that what? Making disciples is always going to involve going. We said that we we can't win them if we don't go, right? Going is proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And when we see this word go that Jesus says, the, the tense of this word implies as you go. In As you are going, in other words, Jesus is saying, in all of your going, make disciples. That's what he's saying. So that there isn't a portion of my life where I'm not supposed to be on this mission. In all of my going, be making disciples as I go. That's one element of it. But there's also a very strategic element here. There's this implication that we've got to be strategic as we go. This isn't just about discipling who we happen to come in contact with, because Jesus says, I need you guys to go do this for all nations. And when he was talking about all nations, he wasn't talking about nations the way we might think of it, like countries, like the United States or Canada or what. He was talking about people groups, unique clans and tribes and unique languages. Did you know that On planet Earth, there are some 11,000 unique people groups, unique nations, if you will. And of those unique 11,000 nations, 6,000, 6,000 of them have never heard the gospel. So when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, I want you to make disciples of all nations, he didn't mean the United States, he meant the 11,000, those unique pockets of people 
those, those tribes and those nations. How do we know that? Because when we get to Revelation, uh, at the end of Revelation, and John sees the throne, what does he see around the throne? How does he describe it? The same word that Jesus described. He says, I saw every nation, every tribe, every language, every tongue. What John got was a peak of the fruit of our going. Your going has fruit. You know what the fruit is? You're going to make worshipers of God. And John got a look at the fruit of our going. So we, we're going to go. This is why the largest single ministry line item in our budget is missions. And it'll always be missions because you belong to a church that believes in the mission of God. And my question is, do you feel this urgency to go? Do you sense this in your walk with the Lord to live on mission and to make disciples? So we got to go. Here's the second thing. Baptizing. If going is proclaiming the gospel, then baptizing is displaying my new life in Christ. Jesus said in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing is essential to making disciples. Why? Because baptism saves us? No, baptism doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. But listen, baptism unites us in the saving work of Christ. It is the declaration that we make that we have come into a covenant relationship with Jesus, that we've submitted to him as our Lord. It is the public announcement of what Christ has done in our hearts. And there are some believers I know in this room right now who would say, yes, I've given my life to Jesus, but you've not taken the step of baptism. And if that's you, hear me in love, you are walking as a disobedient disciple. So, well, Matt, that's harsh. The first century church would have never been able to reckon that someone would claim the name of Jesus and not be able to publicly stand and say, He is my Lord, and be baptized. They had no context for someone who would say yes to salvation and no to baptism. That just wouldn't have made any sense to them. So if you're here this morning, hear me say this. If you've put your faith in Christ, if you can look and you can go, I, I know that Jesus has changed my life, then I want you to hear me say this about baptism. Jesus did it himself. Jesus demands it of us, and Jesus deserves it. If you treasure what he did, then treasure being obedient to him. Don't forfeit the joy of publicly declaring that you belong to Christ. So, well, Matt, what do I need to do? Super glad you asked. Take, see this card right here? In the chair pockets in front of you, I don't want you to take these, but I do want you to scan these. You see that little QR code? Does anybody actually know how these work? I, I think they're some kind of witchcraft. I don't know what they are. Uh, <laughs> but what I do know is if you open your camera on your phone and hold it over that QR code, um, you're going to be able to open a link. And when you open that link, you're going to have a few options. One of them is going to be, I need to be baptized. I want to make this as simple as I can for you. If you will scan this code and just click, I need to be baptized, there's a little bit of information, and we will connect with you this week. 
and we will celebrate what God has done in your life and we'll help you do this. All right? Don't forfeit the joy of grafting in and uniting with your brothers and sisters in Christ and declaring that Jesus is Lord. So we go, we baptize, and the last thing Jesus said is we teach. What is teaching? It is showing how to walk with Christ. Jesus said in verse 20, we are to be teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Remember that word disciple means learner. Well, a learner has to have a teacher. And Jesus says to these disciples, hey, you know all this stuff I've been teaching you for three years? It's time for you to go and teach it to somebody else. It's time for you to go and make sure everyone else knows that. Disciple making is always going to involve teaching. We have to do more than just hear the word. We have to obey the word, which means in order to help someone else obey the word of God and to teach it, we have to know it. We have to know God's word in order to share and teach God's word. You know, every night my sons sit at home and they do homework. And they do really hard homework. And you know what I've discovered about their homework? I am no longer able to teach them a single thing about what they're learning. I'm out. Tap out. I need a sub. I can't handle it. Right? You want to know why? Because some jerk put the alphabet into math and I want to punch him in the throat. And thank you. See, I knew that was a gospel stance. I just, you guys affirmed it for me this morning. <laughs> I there are areas of their life where we are in a teacher-student learner relationship. That's not one of them. Do you want to know why? Because I don't know how to do their math. Unless we remain students of God's word, we can't do the part of this command, teaching them to observe all that God has commanded. Why? Because if we don't know what God has commanded, we don't know how to walk in it. And if I don't know it and I can't walk in it, I can't demonstrate it and I can't teach it. We have to, we have to gain a love for God's Word and a treasuring of God's Word so that we can obey the Great Commission. Okay? So we've got to go. We're going to baptize we're going to teach. The task is still daunting. The mission is daunting. But I want you to notice the bookends of this Great Commission. I want you to notice what Jesus said. He began the Great Commission with these words, All authority has been given to me. And he ended the Great Commission with these words, And I'm with you always. What does that mean? It means that Jesus is not only the power of our mission, in our going, He is also the presence that sustains us as we go. Believer, listen, we have a story, but our story ain't about us. Our story is about Jesus. And we go in His authority, and we go in His presence. And when we do that, we are positioned to win the 180,000, to win the 19 million, and to win the billions who don't know His name. You remember when the disciples, when Jesus first called His disciples, Right off the boat, what did he say to him? He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, three years later on the side of the mountain, he looks at him and says, go fishing. It's time to go. Brothers, sisters, new beginnings. It is time for us to go and win. Let's pray.
And if you're here this morning and, and you need to walk in obedience and, and be baptized, I want you to come down and tell one of us that as we worship. Just come take us by the hand. We would love to help you do that. If you are here this morning and your confession would be, I don't know that I have a story. I can't find that moment in my life. I've come to church for years, but I can't find the moment where Jesus actually changed my life. Then you need to come take one of us by the hand and be saved today. Let Jesus give you a story today. We want to do that. Let's pray and then we'll worship and respond. Lord, I love you and I'm so thankful for your word. God, now as we worship, I pray for those of us, Lord, who need to make you the Savior of our life, would you give us courage to step out and step up? God, I pray for those of us who need to take the step of obedience in baptism and just publicly declare that you are our Lord and Savior. Help us to step out and do that. Lord, we love you and we worship you. Receive our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.